You've found yourself 100 yards over the rim. A podcast series from the Land of Enchantment in which we talk about the lasting impact and influence of the Twilight Zone. And today I'm joined here by Mr. Andrew Swan. He is an instructor here at CNM for editing, and he is also a freelance editor as well. And in my opinion, one of my favorite instructors here at CNM for the film program. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> Mr. Swan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, no problem. This looks like a fun thing, and I, I, I listened to a couple episodes so far, so... Excellent. Yeah. I, uh, so we just, just covered the episode of 60 Millimeter Shrine. I just yeah. wanted to lead off, well, that lead off with this one. Was there something in this episode that stood out to you as a viewer? Um, well, I mean, there's a few things. Obviously, Ida Lupino, do you know the backstory behind her? I only know that she's unique in the Twilight Zone in that not only did she act in this episode, but she also directed, in my opinion, one of the most iconic episodes. Yeah, well, she she was one of the uh, sort of biggest female directors of the era. Uh, she directed a couple of film noir uh, films as well, uh, which I'd have to look up off the top of my head. I think it's like... I, I don't want to misstate, but um, she's she's done a couple herself, uh, as well as an actor. So she has this really interesting kind of diverse range of experience. And I think it makes her kind of a good pick for this particular part, um, which is kind of this... I don't know. To me, it's almost kind of like a prequel to Sunset Boulevard or something like that <laughs> in, in a weird way, because they're coming from the same sort of place of this former big silent film star. Well, in this case, it, it's a little bit past that, but um, essentially the same thing, the sort of locked in this nostalgia of a past era and um, not really able to escape it. So... I can definitely see where that comes from. And uh, as a filmmaker, is there anything in this episode that stood out to you? Well, it's interesting. It's like a lot of the the camera work and stuff like that is very meat and potatoes. It's very straightforward. Um, But it does make for interesting contrast when it does diverge away from that. Um, The scenes in the room when sort of the projector's running where they use, I assume, some sort of a shape or something like that to uh, over a light to kind of uh, suggest the sort of reels going around and stuff. I, I thought it was a fun touch. And they do this... Uh, towards the beginning, they have that great shot where uh, the maid is walking in and she sort of gets spooked out by seeing Ida's character kind of come forward uh, out from behind the screen. Um, it's something where I kind of wish that they'd kind of done a bit more coverage on that so they could have punched in on Ida's face or something and made it more of just like a straight jump scare uh, when the maid comes in. But it was still, it was a really cool-looking sort of section. But the other thing I noticed was later on... Um, <laughs> when you kind of pass the point of no return, right? Where she's kind of in the... Uh, um, <laughs> Her own little world, as it were. Well, it, it, it's it's right after 
I think it's Grant or whatever, one of her former loves who's now become this supermarket chain owner, right? Uh, once he and... Uh, who is that actor's name? Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he does have one of those very familiar faces. He was in a couple other Twilight Zone episodes as well, too, but... Um, one episode he was in in particular does kind of haunt my nightmares. It was the new exhibit from season four. Uh, okay. I'd have to go back and, and look at it to remember. But anyway, I, I'm a, I've seen him in a ton of stuff. Anyway, um, point being, as soon as they leave, it's just her. And we have this kind of tracking sort of pan combined shot that happens where we're sort of following her along um, out of kind of the uh, essentially kind of a study or whatever and you look back through that into the room where the projector is and she's been watching all of this stuff and the way that it was executed I thought oh yeah no they're really doing this to kind of visually highlight that now she's <laughs> this is it <clears throat> they had some things earlier where they you know they were giving her essentially all of these chances to kind of come out of her shell and accept reality and at this point she's just rejected it and we just see that path from the real world straight back into there so i thought that was a really good usage of that particular camera work um i'm trying to think if there's anything else i mean those were the main things that really got me i think the way you worded that kind of reminded me of a quote from Adam Savage when he was working on Mythbusters. It was, um, I reject your reality and substitute my own. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that really is the premise of this episode. <laughs> it's, it's like, in some ways, I get, I, I'll be honest with you, um, I think this episode could have been a lot more visually interesting than it was. Uh, some of that is kind of just the the patterns of the times and whatever. Um, but I could easily see remaking this in a way that would really kind of make this a lot creepier uh, than it is. Because right now it's pretty straightforward. What carries it is Ida Lupino's performance. She's fantastic. She really sort of nails that uh, sort of sense of desperation and self-denial. Uh, all the rest of it in a way that it, it's it's up there with um, was it Betty Davis in Sunset Boulevard? God. <laughs> I can't remember now. Um, I, I'm terrible with actors' names though, so please forgive me, internet, if I, if I get that wrong. <laughs> but the, uh, anyway, um, it's uh, it is that sort of similar thing. And it's interesting to me because Sunset Boulevard came like, I think about 10 years prior to this. It's 1950 and this is... 59. 19, yeah, 59, 60, something like that. So I want to say this came out in October of 59. Okay, yeah. So it's interesting to see both how things had changed and how similar it was. Um, the change was sort of that the past now had sound in it and was this kind of, um, you know, the dress and stuff had changed a bit. But the, uh, no, the, the sort of sense of, 
It's like Hollywood Gothic, almost. That kind of reminds me of a book I've been reading as of late as well. It's um, it's quoted as this Hollywood ghost story, mm-hmm. and it's from Clive Barker. Ah, okay. Of course. <laughs> Interesting. And if anyone, if any readers are looking for a really good spooky story, I do recommend this one. It's called Cold Heart Canyon. Okay. It's a very interesting story. It ties between 1920s Hollywood and I want to say the mid 80s. Yeah. And a ghost story in connection between the two based on a property that's just outside of Hollywood. Yeah. Cool. All right. I'd said Clive Barker normally is not my cup of tea just because of the the gore and stuff like that, but it's uh I'd be willing to give it a shot because he definitely does write some interesting stories. So. Oh, yeah. The thing that catches me with him, he's spectacular when it comes to gore and just the intense level of creepiness. Yeah. But what always catches me with Clive Barker is his incredible talent for imagery. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because he can paint a picture of blood, but he can make you really want to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's him and Stephen King both have that kind of gift of drawing you into a particular moment in a very visceral sort of way. So, I can definitely agree with that. Yeah. With this episode, where do you feel was the uh, was the turning point in this story? Uh, I mentioned it. It was that shot. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's again, once she's exhausted all of her um, options, or rather, her friend exhausted all of his options to try to pull her out of his shell, it's that it's that uh, sort of dolly or I, technically I guess it would be a trucking shot with a pan um, but it's essentially it's this combo move that sort of shifts the audience's perspective a bit and as soon as that happens that's it <laughs> now um, the part where it gets to be really interesting uh, to me is right at the end um, seeing how they kind of play off the reveal of her being trapped in the uh, in the celluloid itself, um, that was kind of cool. That was kind of built out, and um, I was a big fan of how they used a lot more old school camera movements in that in that sequence mm. as well. Yeah, when they showed her in any of the footage in the in the celluloid in the sixteen millimeter, it was very unique to me. That yeah, it looked like it was something that was shot from the thirties or something like that. They had some strong Gone with the Wind cinematography for a moment there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and she's definitely got that level of, of melodrama to that performance, too. <laughs> Including Clark Gable's mustache, borrowed very generously by one of our lead actors. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. One of my favorite sequences in this episode and was the argument that she had with the executive from... I don't remember the name of the studio, but... Yeah, it was kind of a brutal reality show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a thing where like it showed what was suggested, uh, if I remember correctly, in Sunset Boulevard, which is sort of the the to your face rejection. Um, it's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal stuff. I mean, you know, she's she's clearly delusional at the same time, but. Yeah, no, they, they did a good, good job of sort of uh, making you sort of cringe while watching it. Both, 
both for sort of her expectations of what's going to happen and the sort of pain that happens out of that. Oh, yeah. So this episode to me, and I don't know if there's any official connection. It always kind of, I've always felt like it has a unique tie to a specific Metallica song that came out somewhere in the mid nineties. <laughs> it was called the memory remains. <sighs> the memory remains. That must've been on an album later. It was loaded. Oh. Or reload. It was reload. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's one of the ones that nobody really. A lot of people tend to dislike. I personally, I like it, but a few of the lyrics from that that I'll do kind of stick in the back of my head when I watch this episode. Like heavy rings on fingers wave. Another star denies the grave. <laughs> See oh the, yeah. <laughs> And something about twisted vines that grow and swallow mansions whole and dim the light of an already faded prima donna. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what it is. It's, it's that same sort of gothic, um, that gothic sort of feel to everything. But it is that very particular Hollywood gothic of bygone eras that's just kind of faded away. <laughs> it's, it's fun. Very Art Deco meets. Yeah, it's sort of yeah, a little bit of Deco. The certainly from the '30s era, that would be correct. Although by the late '50s, early '60s, I think that kind of. Trying to think, I'll tell you what. That set looks damn near identical to a set that was used in the Big Sleep. (laughs) Um, Paramount. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe it's just they repurposed parts of that uh, to make the set or something like that. Uh, but I'd have to go back and compare the two to be sure. But it's that same layout where you've got kind of like the um, the room that's kind of under the stairs, and then you've got something across from that, and you're sort of going back and forth or whatever. And a big staircase in the background yeah, that you can enter. Big staircase in the background. Because <laughs> that for sure is the thing. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Overall, what did you think of this episode? It's sort of middle of the road for me, for uh, Twilight Zone. Like, it's it's far from the worst. The, there are some episodes like, um, it's the one with like the slot machine that's calling out to the oh, guy the or whatever. Oh, the fever? Yeah, that, oh, yeah, that one's terrible. Um, but it's not up to the level for me of something like To Serve Man or um, the Monsters Are Out on Maple Street or stuff like that that's just immediately iconic and stuff like that. So it's, it's sort of in the middle there. I, it has some things that are really good about it and some things that uh, I would either change or, you know, do whatever. But, you know, uh, the, the core premise is really solid, um, and the acting is good overall. I think the weakness is mainly in the script. Uh, there are some lines that are repeated. Um, I, I will say it does look like it, it kind of rushed because it, I think they left in a couple of line flubs or something in there. Um, I did but, notice some of the transitions also feel really... They, some of the actors seemed like they were waiting to move from certain marks to the other, like the uh, like the the maid. Now, who directed this? I if, let's I look it up. Double check. Let's yeah. <laughs> I, I'll race you. <laughs> That's the fun thing these days is that you can just go on to 
was directed by Mitchell Lysen. Okay, yeah, good. I'm glad it wasn't Heidi Lupino, because <laughs> I'd be disappointed if that was the case. Um, I, I have a feeling this is this is either a thing where they ran out of time or it's a director issue uh, that caused stuff like that to get through. But again, no fault of the actors. They're um, they're all I've all seen them in in other stuff that's um, where they've been considerably stronger. Oh right, yeah. Um, the guy who plays the uh, her friend. That's. Um, the detective from Psycho. He was in there. Uh, so now I'm going to have to look up his name. <laughs> uh, what, the older version or the younger version? Um, no, the, uh, the uh, not, not that friend. The uh, the one that uh, her, I, I guess, like lawyer or manager or something like oh, that. Oh, Martin Balsam. Bal- Martin Balsam, yes. Absolutely. God, he is a character actor of character actors. And there are... There's a few of them in the Twilight Zone too. Um, oh yeah, Jack Klugman I think is probably my favorite. But I adore Jack Klugman oh, in the Twilight Zone, especially. Fantastic. Personally, and this is just me. When I was a kid, he bore a strong resemblance to my dad <laughs> in the episode "In Praise of Pip," and because of that, subconsciously, like my whole life, I've called my dad Pop because of it. <laughs> cool. And he gets so annoyed with it. He goes, "I don't look like the guy from the Odd Couple." What are you talking about? <laughs> Whereas my mom thinks he looks like um, my mom thinks he looks like Jeff Goldblum, or he did when he was younger. I'm like, middle of the road either way. (laughs) Kind of. No, my my favorite Jack Klugman role in the Twilight Zone is in um, uh, Passage for Trumpet. So. I loved Passage for Trumpet. My favorites with him actually are either, like I said, in Praise the Pip or in season four during the during the hour long episodes. There's this episode called Death Ship. Oh man! It was the one about these astronauts that crash landed on a planet, or they landed on a planet. They went to go investigate a crashed ship next yeah. to their ship, and they realized that they found their bodies in the ship. Oh, and it's sort of this Flying Dutchman story. Ah, okay. I'm going to have to watch that now. <laughs> it's incredible, and they do have it on Paramount+. Plus. I do highly recommend it. Yeah. No, I... Uh, that's that's the way to watch it these days, it looks like. Although I think they have some on, like, Freebie and Tubi and stuff like that. But I'll, I'll take a look. Oh, yeah. Tubi I kind of utilize because in the States they don't have a lot of classic Doctor Who, like the old Tom Baker, <sighs> John Pertwee... Yeah. Patrick Trout, your Doctor Who. Hit me right in the childhood there. Um, Tom Baker is my favorite doctor of all time. Speaking of which, today we are actually filming this, I want to say January 23rd. Today is his 90th birthday. <laughs> Jesus, he's 90. That's amazing. I'm going to go get some jelly babies after this. <laughs> uh, um, that's, again, classic science fiction there is this real charm to it and I think um, I think those are kind of the two shows that really sort of hit me the most especially when I was younger was the original Twilight Zone and Doctor Who um, I like I know some people are into Space 1999 and um, Classic Trek yeah Classic Trek Classic Trek's great don't get me wrong it's awesome but it's uh it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, It's something that I think I appreciate more 
um, on rewatch. So, although I did re- I did watch it at the time with my friends and stuff. So, anyway, I'm rambling here. Not to worry, not to worry. <laughs> um, do anything overall else for this episode? Yeah. What would you rate it on a scale of one to ten? Oh, right. Um, uh, I would say about a six. I'd say it's 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 above the average of uh, kind of the more mediocre episodes, but it still had some room for improvement. So it's, but I'm still glad to watch it. Uh, Cause that's the thing that with anthology so- shows, a lot of times, you know, you're going to have episodes that are better or worse, um, but you can still kind of appreciate when it's a solid of, middle ground. Yeah. You can still appreciate it. Um, and like I said, uh, it's always good to see Isla Lupino in something uh, just because she's such a unique character in film history. So. With an absolute mastery of the transatlantic accent. <laughs> yeah, well, they did definitely try to drill that into a lot of actors. So, Oh, yeah. There we go. Well, with that being said, I do want to thank you for joining us on this one. I know... My pleasure. Well, I definitely appreciate it. I know that it... Sometimes scheduling with classes is a thing, but... Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. You teach and you end up not having a lot of time for other stuff. But glad I could get in and do this today. Uh, It was a lot of fun. Definitely, and we're always glad to have you. And if you'd like on one of the future seasons, we'd love to have you back as well. I'd love to be back. Excellent. There's definitely some episodes in future seasons that uh, I'd love to weigh in on. Excellent. (laughs) With that being said... We hope you enjoyed this week's episode, breaking down interesting factoids and discussing the fourth episode of The Twilight Zone. If you'd like to lend in here for more shadows and substance, be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, uh, I'm your host, Jerome Archuleta. Andrew Swan. And as always, you'll find us 100 yards over the rim. Take care, everybody.